At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 890, I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by your other host, Brittany Page. So I want to talk about student loans to start because every time I'm ranting and raving to you, you say, we need to talk about this, meaning we need to talk about it on the show. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think you're trying to protect yourself from my ranting and raving, although this could be a strategic move on your part to attempt to protect yourself from my ranting and raving. No, it's just fucking (laughs) outrageous. It's outrageous. It is outrageous. So I... Set the stage for why what is taking place is outrageous. And this, people will, this might be anecdotal, but this is not anecdotal. This is your experience that's happening to... Tens of thousands of people all across the country with Mohila. This is your your loan servicer. I guess I will set the stage, apparently. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Please proceed. Mohila is the loan servicer that you currently are afflicted with. Mm -hmm. They were. (laughs) were That's a way of putting it. (laughs) Yeah. They they were the, the company that was enjoined. They were part of the Supreme Court case that ended up going not the way of the American people. Right. That went the way of uh, these loan servicers that was brought to the Supreme Court by the state of Missouri, even though Mohila wasn't even in the courtroom, no representative for the company was actually there. And they are now, they miscalculated the payments of untold Americans. Hundreds of thousands. Hundreds of thousands. You wanted to get ahead of the game on your very first payment. Am I going too far now? Yeah, let me jump in now. All right. Okay, so I I wanted to start with, I have student loans. <laughs> and I have student loans because I was thrown into the world to figure things out on my own. And again, my story is not unique. Like many other people, I... I went to college. I remember my first year, I had no one to guide me, no one to explain to me how things worked. Neither of your parents graduated high school, so they clearly did, and one was in prison when you went to college. So you didn't have parents who knew the ins and outs of um, student loans or how to even finance college. You certainly didn't have the money to just pay for it outright. Yeah, I had I had no idea. And so I signed for my financial aid, didn't know the difference between pale grants, which I got, thankfully, loans, 
I, I didn't know what all of this stuff was or what it meant. All I know is I signed the paperwork that covered my tuition, allowed me to enroll in classes, and then I got a check in my school mailbox. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it was like for 3500 bucks. And I was like, holy shit, we are loaded. <laughs> <laughs> you go to college and you are just, you are bringing in the bucks. And so I went straight to the school bookstore. I thought you were going to say straight to the food court at the mall. <laughs> <laughs> I went straight to the the school bookstore, which is a huge mistake. Right. You do not do that. You do not need to buy your textbooks you can brand rent new. them on Chegg. Yes. You, you need to be renting them. You should not be buying your brand new textbooks for English 101 or whatever. And if you are going to buy your textbooks, you don't go to the fucking college book. Bookstore yeah, where but, they're they're exorbitantly overpriced. Yeah, but of course I didn't know this, and so I spent you know a third of that check there, and then I probably went and got a vente white chocolate mocha and a breakfast sandwich at Starbucks, <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably where most of it went. Okay, but. If someone had explained to me that, oh, that's actually a loan, and that's actually a loan from a, a private company. That one's not even from the Department of Education. That one's um, from Citibank. I I probably would not have done what I did. But you only did that one time, right? Yeah, because... Then you, then you figured it out, like, oh, shit, that's bad. Yeah, thankfully then I went to community college, and I'm, I can't remember what happened, but I'm assuming that someone there explained to me more thoroughly what was going on because at community colleges they're used to helping kids that come from non-traditional backgrounds mm-hmm. i guess you would say and so i finally less advantaged or non-advantaged backgrounds yeah so i finally got it figured out and i did all of the things that you hear conservatives talk about they're like well why don't you go to a state school yeah i went to community college and i went to a state school for both my undergrad and my graduate degree and then they'll say, well, why don't you work? I worked the whole time I was in the school. The whole time. In fact, there were periods of time where I would get up before the sun was up and leave. And I would work, do an internship, go to school, work, yeah. <laughs> come back home, and it would be dark. And then we would do a show. Um, yeah, so- I was going to say, even like during grad school, you worked full time. You had your internship. And you were doing this show. Yeah. And we were doing twice a week religiously, Sundays and Thursdays, Sundays and Thursdays. Right. And I actually paid that loan off from Citibank first thing. So that was paid off years ago. So that's not included in my current student loan totals. But now I'm in a position where I am back in repayment like everyone else. And my payment is quite high. (laughs) And I tried to be responsible and pay a higher amount so that I would be paying above and beyond the interest and some of it would be going to principal, you know, like a car payment or like anything else. And so I paid $1,000 for my first payment. and Which is more than what was required. Yes. And the entire thing went to interest. And I... They lined it out. I want to paint the picture on the page. mm Mm-hmm. $1,000 even payment. Mm -hmm. It says amount to interest, $1,000 amount to principal, $0. Yeah. So I decided, you know what? If this is how this is going to be, I'm going to apply for an income-driven repayment plan. And so I applied for an income-driven repayment plan. It's not going to help me a ton on my monthly 
payment that I'm going to make, but it is going to help me in terms of the amount of interest that I pay over the course of my repayment by like tens of thousands of dollars. It's going to reduce the amount of interest I pay. So I applied for that through the uh, government, and now it has to go to Mohila. Mohila has to review my application and the documentation of my income and approve that. Because Mohila has entered this ridiculous phase where they've miscalculated hundreds of thousands of payments, they're having to put people on administrative forbearance, they're in crisis mode. Hang on. You emailed them, by the way, and said, hey, what the fuck? I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And didn't they write you back and say, "Um, we will get back to you within 90 days? Yeah. So because they're in crisis (laughs) mode right now, they're supposed to approve my plan in four weeks. They're supposed to give me a denial or approval in four weeks. They messaged me and said it's going to take 90 days for them to review my plan. So then a few days later, I get a message saying that I've been put on an administrative forbearance while they try to figure out what's going on with my account. Because I also emailed them and say, hey, why did my entire $1,000 payment go to interest? This is ridiculous. And I'm assuming that's part of their communication processing delays as well. They can't get back to me on that. So in lieu of helping me solve any problems, they're saying, we're just going to put you on pause again. Yeah. And this is why uh, no one should be in a position to be repaying their loans and we should forgive them or at least a lot of a lot of them, and certainly not ha- be collecting interest. Yeah, at the very least, all this should be interest-free since it's a government. The government, I mean, I'm, I really don't know who's profiting off of this. Obviously, Mohila's taking a cut. Is the federal government also profiting from this? It, this should not be the case. Yeah, my interest rate averages to be about 6.2% across my loans. Immoral. Absolutely it, ridiculous. It is. And again, I know that I'm not unique in this in this situation, but I think it is important to drive the point home that I I was raised in an environment where thankfully I had a parent who was like, look at how much I'm suffering. <laughs> I'm a single mom with four kids. My life is a nightmare. I'm never going to escape. I'm always going to be poor. It's always going to be paycheck to paycheck. You need to do something different. You need to get an education. You need to get out of this. And that was always drilled into me, thankfully. And so I was like, I'm going to go get an education. And because I'm poor, I can't afford that education. And so I took out loans in order to get that education. And now I'm being punished for it. And I also work in a helping profession where my, my career has put me out in society to help people. Yeah. And also not get paid a bunch of money. <laughs> and still you're like punished. It's a punishment. You have yeah. to wear this around your neck. And so I guess I'm just talking about this so that other people who are in the same position understand that we are in solidarity with you. It is frustrating. I'm not trying to get sympathy uh, for, for talking about this. It's just more, I think people need to be aware of how debilitating this is and if you're not in a position to pay these loans it is a nightmare thankfully and luckily I am right now in a position to do so I have not always been and who knows what the future holds but thankfully right now it's okay let me also say this there's a there's a there, there seems to be there tends to be from the older generations a drumbeat of we even know people in our personal lives that are like well you shouldn't have taken out those loans and the this coming from people who spent a fraction, a literal fraction to go to college, especially when you take into account uh, 
what money, the, the, the buying power of do- the dollar now compared to then. Like, people were spending like $1,500 on, 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 on degrees and shit when, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the exact number, but it, it's certainly very low compared to the tens of th- the record high rates of tuition across the country. And you, you got in-state tuition in California. It wasn't like you were paying, oh, well, you should have gone just to an Idaho school. All of these things. Loans are necessary now unless you come from privilege, unless you come from wealth. That's the way, like, working full-time to pay for your college isn't going to get it done anymore. Mm-hmm. People Absolutely. can't even afford a two-bedroom fucking apartment working minimum wage in this country. H- how are you with no skills, no, like, what are you going to go do as a as a college kid with no degree mm-hmm. to make money? Mm-hmm. In a job that's also going to leave you with the energy to complete and excel at school. It, everything's working against you. It's yeah. just, it's absolutely immoral and fucked. Yeah. So I think you said it better than I could. <laughs> it makes me, I know, I know it, it. You're more like frustrated and like browbeaten by it. Yeah. I'm like ready to light buildings on fire. I'm yeah. very, very, it, it is. Not really, though. It's an in- yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's an indictment of our system. Yeah. Um, yeah it's, just, it's fucking gross. It's yeah, gross. For sure. So solidarity with everyone else who is out there in the same situation. And if you are in the situation, feel free to let us know how you're dealing with it. And you yeah, can... I also want to drive home. I know you said it, but this isn't a woe is us. Woe is you. Yeah, no, absolutely not. It is... We happen to have microphones that broadcast to people, and we're lucky enough to have people listen, and we have a platform, a tiny little corner of the internet, and if you think we're going to be silent about something like this, because if it's happening to us, we know it's happening to you out there, and goddamn, no, immoral, gross, disgusting, reprehensible, and something needs to change. Yeah, for sure. 657-464-7609. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to I Doubt It at dollamore.com. If you would like to help produce the show, maybe contributed $2 a month or so to help Brittany pay some of this uh, student loan. Oh, my God. (laughs) Patreon.com slash I Doubt It Podcast is where you can go to support and produce the work we do to help amplify the reach of the show. Let's talk about that briefly before we thank our three new Patreon supporters. The So we're in the process of finalizing the end of your gift. Mm-hmm. And we, we're not going to say what it is because we always like for it to be a surprise. But anyway, God, okay, I can't. I was getting ready to almost spoil part of it. So <laughs> we got a preview of part of it. An element of it. Yeah, and... It is so cool, and yeah. we're really excited about it. So we do an end-of-year Patreon gift for all of our Patreon supporters who are Patreon supporters by the end of the year. So as long as you sign up before the end of the year, then you will be in it because we're finalizing it now. It probably won't start going out until at least mid to end December. So it really, when we say end of your gift, it's like end of year, beginning of your gift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would I would even say maybe the second week of January. Let's not get people. <laughs> yeah, and let's also, we last year we had like a shipping fiasco where we did a button and because it wasn't flat, it got, it was just a nightmare. So we learned our lesson from that and we're never doing something like that again. So we're, we're not going to have any more shipping problems going forward. <laughs> Where each thing was costing like $6 to ship. Yeah. Like a, a 
however little money that button costs on an individual basis. Yeah, so we're never doing that again. But uh, in addition, one of the benefits of Patreon is you get the ad-free version of the show, and you also get our monthly bonus episodes that we do, and we're getting ready to do our next one. You previously said what we're going to talk about, but let's just not get into it. Okay, so thank you to our new Patreon supporters, Matthew D. Matthew D. Tiffany R. Tiffany R. And Patricia L. Patricia L., thank you all so much for joining the Patreon family and helping support and produce the work we do here. We appreciate you uh, very much. Uh, Once again, patreon.com slash podcast. All right, let's get to some listener communication. Um... We got a a couple of emails, or we have an email at the very least, and and a couple of voicemails. Let's start with the email. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. Love your work, and you both. I wanted to see if you could share your thoughts on this. I don't know if you've recently seen the interviews on other progressive channels that Jank from The Young Turks has been doing. He has a website and is running for president just to bring attention to the issue that Democrats are again, quote, sleepwalking us into another Trump defeat. He is positive that Biden will lose and makes some compelling arguments. There is too much at stake for us not to take this seriously since we are still reeling from 2016. Please take a look and share your thoughts. Is this fear-mongering since I know that they hate corporate Democrats at TYT, which we all do? Or should we be sounding the alarm to wake up Democrats? I do not want to wake up one November morning to a fascist takeover of our country. Thank you and love you both. You are both the best. Peggy E. Peggy E. Thank you for the for the email. I This is it this, well, it's not tough for me. One, Jank Uger is not qualified to be president of the United States. He is disqualified by the Constitution. He is not a natural-born citizen of the United States. And the way the Constitution reads, I believe in, in Article 2, Section 1, I think is what, where it is. Um, it, it states that at the time of the writing of the Constitution, if you were a naturalized citizen, you could be president. But only at the time of the, of the, the adoption of the Constitution. So Cenk was born in Turkey. His parents, neither of them, were born American. So he's not eligible. Maybe not, let's not say qualified. He, he could be qualified, I guess. He's not eligible. It is plainly stated in the constitution. Whatever con- whatever argument he's he's bringing up about some case that doesn't really have well it doesn't have anything to do with the constitutionality of running for president, it's just not going to happen. I the way I take his run for president is as a publicity stunt. It's more audience capture from Jank Uger, who I'm sure is an okay guy. I don't hate the guy, but a lot of what they do on the Young Turks is um, for promotion. It's for uh, controversy's sake. He's taking the Robert Kennedy Jr. method approach to promoting his campaign, because if he really was taking it seriously... Why would he be going on fucking Tim Pool's show? Why would he be flying from L.A. to the woods in Maryland or wherever the fuck Tim Pool lives and works to do Tim Pool's podcast? He would be going on progressive and just down the middle Democratic types of, 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 of outlets 
to be beating the drums because what progressives are listening to Tim Pool? So I think it's a publicity stunt. I don't think it gets us any closer to the the eventuality that you fear, Peggy, of of, um, of avoiding a fascist takeover of our country. In fact, I think that if anything, well, I don't think it's really going to move. I'll just let me. I'll stop saying what I was going to say because I don't think it's going to move the needle at all, except for TYT's bottom line. Yeah, I think if the. If the concern is that Joe Biden is going to lose and there's going to be a fascist takeover of the country, then I think there are more important and relevant actions that they could take to be pressuring Biden and the Biden administration to be doing things differently in order to get more of leftist support. Um, I'm thinking about all of the people that I have seen tweeting recently that they will not vote for Biden because he's not demanding a ceasefire and is instead continuing to stand by Israel as they continue to bombard Gaza and continue to make this humanitarian crisis that's happening there that we're going to get into a little bit later. Which is disappointing, but it's a, it's a disappointing decision by Biden. And so... I, I don't know. I just don't see how him running for president is going to result in the pressure for Biden to be better. And also, Jenk doesn't have power within the Democratic Party. It would require someone that has power within the Democratic Party to run in opposition to Joe Biden yeah. to force his hand to drop out. Jenk is never going to get to the number that he wants to get to that he believes will force Biden's hand to drop out. Jank doesn't have that power. Someone who has power within the Democratic Party has that ability to do that. As far as your criticisms of TYT, it's been very concerning to see a lot of the commentary coming out of there, especially recent clips that I saw of Anna Kasparian going on Patrick Bet David, I think is his name. Another right-wing troll. Going on his show and specifically saying that her living in California and being on the ground, seeing a lot of policies in action has made her question leftist policies. I mean, she said that. Yeah. And she was talking about how dangerous it is to be in San Francisco, how you're you're going to get uh, carjacked or robbed. You're um, they're handing out crack pipes to... To the unhoused, rather than talking about, you know, harm reduction programs and why it is that the government would be giving crack pipes. She's using the language that riles up the right against the left rather than taking that opportunity to actually educate that audience. She's making arguments using the same language as like Ben Shapiro. Yeah, so I just, I'm concerned about what's going on there and her turn toward like supporting people like Coleman Hughes. I just, there's something that's happening. There's something that's changing. And I don't play the clips. Like we're not playing the clip of Anna Kasparian because she retweeted it and was like, oh, here's your, here's your content for the week. Leftist podcasts. Like they like it. They want the attention. That's they why I say. They want to upset the left. Absolutely. And so I just think that's a red flag when you start seeing that kind of stuff. And and so, sure, of course, we should be concerned about Biden not doing enough to secure the votes of those on the left. And we need to continue that pressure campaign 
some other guy just entered the race to challenge yeah, Biden. Yeah. And well, let me let me say this. I have the same criticism for Biden not wanting to drop out or and not dropping out as I did when he was running. It's it's an arrogance. Like when he was thumping his finger into dude's chests and then well then don't vote for me. Like all of that, it's the same Joe Biden that we criticized during the 2020 election. Right. And we're here we are in 2024. And it's the same thing. It's a lot of old man arrogance, an old way of doing things. Am I happy that Joe Biden is the nominee? No. But you know what? He's the nominee. He's going to be the nominee. So then it becomes a binary choice between Donald Trump, who will usher in fascism in the United States, or, you know, a less than appetizing uh, 80-year-old man as president, as a Democrat, who, while personally is not a progressive, personally he does not advocate for um, some of the policies that we'd like, is at the helm of the most progressive administration, maybe in modern history for sure. I mean, it's just the way it is. So, anyway, you know, it's a distraction. It's a it's a publicity stunt on the part of Jank, I believe because he has zero hope of becoming president of the United States and also zero hope of moving the needle of pushing Joe Biden off of the ticket. It just, I'd like to know what everybody else thinks. I'm sure that a lot of what I just said pissed people off, but uh, look, we here are, our objective is for a better America. Our, our, our hearts are with people who are marginalized and taken advantage of and victimized by our system and we want that to change just as much as anybody else it's just how we get there and when you have a media figure like jank whose bottom line is absolutely affected um i would rather have someone who seems more um dedicated to the prospect of actually getting something done and not just ingratiating themselves with publicity we love to know what you think though 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Also, I just looked it up as you were talking, Brittany, and it is Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5, the fifth paragraph in the Constitution. No person except a natural born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. Neither shall any person be eligible to that office who shall not have attained the age of 35 years and been 14 years a resident within the United States. So that's what it says. Uh, we have a couple of voicemails. Let's get to them. Hi, Mr. Dollamore, Ms. Page. My name is Danny. I live in South Dakota. I just heard you respond to Tommy's question about how you were brought out of the upbringings that you both had um, and the beliefs and all that stuff that you were indoctrinated with, well, attempted to be indoctrinated with. Um, I appreciate your answer and everything. I was just wondering, here in South Dakota, our governor, Governor Kristi Noem, has done so much negative to our education system. And, I mean, she is just completely bombed it out basically and I was just wondering if a part of you are 
apprehensive about coming out and explaining how your teachers and counselors and everything like that have impacted your beliefs now, like um, how they have helped you not be so racist and not be so blind and know your rights and the Constitution and all that. If if any of that is you're, you're apprehensive to explain that because of the backlash that will inevitably happen to teachers and the school system in order to stop them from helping students who are like you. I was just wondering if that is at all um, kind of something that you want to keep secret. Anyways, thank you so much. You guys' show is awesome and it really helps people like me in South Dakota who are not exposed to a whole lot of progressive thinking. You guys keep it up and have a great day. Thanks. Well, I thought this was a great question, Danny. So thank you for sending it in. And of course, this is in reference to the previous episode where we got a question from a listener about how we how we came out of our upbringings. And I always mention teachers and counselors because, well, that's true. And I, 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 it is interesting to think about, you know, do I have a fear that it's going to like give away the plot for these conservatives? And no, I find it more just to be evidence of what they're trying to do. They know what they're trying to do. They know that they want to prevent kids from learning about the realities of the world, because if they do, they're going to become informed citizens who are not going to (laughs) accept Christian nationalism takeover of their government. So they, they know that's what they're doing I know that's what they're doing. A lot of people may be unaware of of that or not want to admit that that's what's happening, but I think it's important to talk about it so that people are aware that these attacks on the education system have a goal, and that goal is to keep people ignorant so that they can't become informed citizens that then don't support people like the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Yeah, I'm... Same page, same message. I, I just... It's interesting that you use the word realities... I'm not afraid that teachers, I mean, teachers are already being targeted, whether people find out about our stories and what led us out of of the nonsense we were raised in. Uh, um, No one should be afraid that a teacher is going to teach facts because that's what ultimately led us out of our particular indoctrination or upbringings or or whatever. It's facts. It's it's what, what science says, what research says. And if you, if you follow that, if you prize that, which conservatives on in large part do not when they're trying to say that there were well, what are the benefits of slavery you know that's that's not a fact-based worldview that's an excuse making uh, attempt to squelch and suppress the the struggles of of black americans whose ancestors were for hundreds of years not just marginalized but raped and murdered and tortured and owned anyway yeah so i'm not that that's already happening whether we talk about it or not um it just it for me it's a it's more of a a call to everyone that we need to keep our eyes on protecting teachers and protecting facts and reality 
as uh, as we go forward. So, as as an aside, it's funny to me the difference between the podcast audience and the YouTube audience for the podcast because we we don't record every episode on video and put it on the podcast or on the YouTube channel, but many of them do go up on the YouTube channel and. I always struggle with like when we are asked about our backgrounds, the reality that there could be a new listener listening to that episode for the first time, weighing that versus the people who have heard me talk about my upbringing yeah. like, hundreds of times and don't need to be filled in on all of the details every single time I bring it up. Like that's a difficult yeah. thing to kind of figure out. But it was strange to me that the YouTube comments on on that episode on, from that question from the listener last episode. They were more upset about me talking about my family and using the phrase white trash right. than they were my family being Nazis. Yeah. And that was very confusing to me. I uh I was like, Did you but did you hear the part where they're Nazis? Like I don't <laughs> are you were you here well, for just, that? <laughs> I think it's just the culture of a YouTube comment section, you know? Yeah. People just get like I think normal, decent people might behave like that in a YouTube comment section because that's just the culture of this of how it is Mm -hmm. which I don't fucking get yeah well and for everyone who may have been upset by me using the phrase white trash I I call myself white trash because I I think it it, well it's how I was raised and also it just paints a picture it's like a shorthand so that the person that I'm speaking to is able to in their mind imagine what it was without me going into a ton of detail yeah, so, otherwise, every single time you say it, you're like, well, the, you know, my parents parked their truck on the grass of our front yard. and Like, it's just more descriptive than anything else. It's not... It, it, it serves the goal of communication, which is to convey ideas, and is li- it's the economy of language. People should calm the fuck down. How about that? All right. So last time, or a few episodes ago, we played a voicemail from a Nazi who talked about how Jesse loves hot dogs and I'm an ugly bitch. And, and I'm wearing gay sweaters. Yeah, it's hard for him to jizz when he looks at me. So we <laughs> decided to, it upset the audience. They were like, I don't want to hear this. This is like really hard to listen to because the audience feels protective over yeah. us. And so we decided to make it up to you and play a very nice voicemail filled with praise of us so that you guys can feel better. Hey, Brittany and Jesse. I just wanted to say how much I appreciate all that you guys do. I know you get a lot of hate mail and such and calls, but we all know why people do that because they're insecure and low information and they're scared. And that's when they're insecure, the fear turns to hatred because they don't understand things. All they know is us versus them. They think in black and white terms, and that's really dangerous. Um, I just want to thank you, though. You guys are wonderful. Um, you give us the solid facts, and I think it's really important that both of you came from these backgrounds in which you have that that experience, which a lot of people that don't have that background, we can say everything that we want and learn in books, but you actually live things that you've learned from and you've grown, and, and that's what people are supposed to do. <laughs> so um, just thank you again, and I hope we get to see Sweepy on one of the... One of the videos. Love to see her. Um, take care, you guys. Bye-bye. Maybe we'll have to make that happen. Yeah, we'll have to lift action. her up one day. Just lay her bed across the podcast table here. I mean, we could do that. <laughs> That's an option. So that was very nice. Thank you to this anonymous caller. We we appreciate it. You know, we do get a lot of hate, but we also get a lot of kind voicemails and emails. I wouldn't say that we get more 
kind emails and voicemails just because there's not a lot of people who are like, you guys are great. You know, they're not calling to do what you just did, for example. But it is nice when it happens. Yeah, also, we're not going to be playing. We're not going to fill the show with a bunch of laudatory voicemails because it would just seem like we're S in our own D's constantly. Yeah, and it's more fun to lean into some of the hate, so. Yeah, also because they just out themselves as being abject dumb fucks. The, you know, the, <laughs> the Nazi guy, the, the, the Nick Fuentes devotee who called in and made fun of my quote-unquote gay sweater and called you a bitch a million times because he can't come when he looks at you. Uh, you know, that guy's a fucking moron. We did it as a mocking exercise, not because we <laughs> were worried about what he thinks. But we love you guys. Thank you so much for all of your support, all of your the voicemails and the emails that, that don't get read or played on the show. Um, they, they do mean a lot. We're, we're very appreciative, and uh, we know just how goddamn lucky we are to be where we are and have this, like I said earlier, tiny corner of the internet to, to talk about things, to, to, to think out loud in public. All right. Uh, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So there's, like we mentioned briefly earlier, an ongoing humanitarian crisis that is escalating in Gaza. The uh, UN General Secretary called for a ceasefire. Um, There's a growing movement calling for a ceasefire. And we're going to put a link in the show notes for you to find your representative online so that you can call your representative and demand a ceasefire. I don't know if people know about like the process of calling your representative, but you you don't really need to have like a monologue prepared about why you are calling and demanding a ceasefire. You can just say your name and yeah. that you want to leave a message for your representative that you want a ceasefire. You want to encourage them to call for a ceasefire. That's it. Yeah, it doesn't need to be... Seriously, it does not need to be a lengthy thing at all. You don't need to justify why you believe this. They're not going to ask any of those questions. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's going to be a tally that they put down, that, that another call came in. Yeah. And that's really what you want, is the numbers to add up. That's the pressure that comes in. And I know people, they get, they get sick of politics because they feel like they can't make a difference or they can't do something. But you can. If enough people are calling and pressuring, I mean, you're, you're starting to see the, the protests that of people are just filling the streets demanding yeah. a ceasefire. There's eventually going to be such high demand that it can't be ignored. And I wanted to play this interview with a, a doctor, Dr. Tanya Haj Hassan. She's a pediatric intensive care doctor for Doctors Without Borders. And she's been working to uh, raise awareness, but also working in Gaza for a long time. And she made it clear exactly how bad things have gotten and why it is necessary to call for a ceasefire. I just want to sort of set the stage a little bit. This is a population that's been living under siege for 16 years. Um, We've been operating in Gaza for about 20 years as an organization. This is a population that's already suffocated and struggling to access basic needs of food, clean water, medical supplies, and health care. 
and the implications of the current intense bombardment, displacement, and complete cutoff of food, medicines, and fuel is catastrophic for the civilian population. And in terms of the healthcare system, uh, two, now four days ago, I think the Ministry of Health declared a complete, complete collapse of the health system in Gaza. Um, at that point, and things are much worse now, one third of the hospitals were not functioning due to direct damage, um, due to uh, lack of fuel and other supplies as well. And the remaining were functioning at less than bare minimum capacity due to the volume of injuries, lack of supplies and fuel. And like I said, this is against the backdrop of the, uh, the healthcare system that was already strangulated. Uh, I have been, I had been in regular contact with uh, colleagues there uh, up until yesterday evening when I lost contact with everybody that I, I know personally there. Um, as you know, there's been a, a blackout uh, and, and it's been difficult, uh, if not impossible, to communicate with, with people on the ground. Um, and so we, we don't know what's happening at this exact moment. We do know that there are uh, tens of thousands of people sheltering in and around the hospitals uh, because of the mass displacement that has happened over the last three weeks. And uh, we know that the physicians are working around the clock, the nurses are working around the clock, the paramedics are working around the clock. Unfortunately, with the recent cutoff of all communication within Gaza and between Gaza and the outside world, it does mean that we don't know what's happening, we don't know what areas are being targeted, and we fear the worst. And uh, as an organization, as individuals, we yeah. are, as humanitarians, we want to emphasize that one, hospitals are never a target, and we are particularly concerned for the patients and staff and thousands of families that are taking shelter in hospitals. And Dr. And Hodge, we, sorry, Dr. Hodge, we have heard from Doctors Without Borders calling for a ceasefire um, to try and deal with this, this humanitarian crisis that exists in Gaza. Uh, in the remaining moments that we have, I, I want to get your perspective as a healthcare professional who founded Gaza Medic Voices to try and help medical professionals communicate during the crisis that no longer can communicate because of that full communications blackout right now. Um, what are medical professionals able to do if they don't have clean water, if they don't have generators? Will they be able to save lives? You know, I'm a pediatric intensive care doctor, so I specialize in taking care of patients who are very, very sick and the most critical patients. And I will tell you that the effective way to save lives right, right now is an immediate ceasefire. And if you hear the, the resolve in my voice, it is because there's been a deafening international silence about this. This, unfortunately, and uh, you know, we know that the mass civilian casualties that have resulted in this are, are a stain on our collective humanity. And despite numerous calls from international organizations, from humanitarian organizations like Doctors Without Borders for an immediate ceasefire, that request has, has been ignored, has been turned down. And in the meantime, there are thousands of civilians who are dying. And we know that about two thirds of those who have died in Gaza right now are women and children. And we are extremely concerned for the civilian population and for the amount of, of, uh, of, of, of just death that could be prevented. Here's... There's a lot of moving parts with this particular issue. And I've heard I've heard people say, well, people say there's nuance, there's nuance, there's not nuance here. 
And yeah, I think ultimately there, there, is, there should be a ceasefire because what's happening right now is the retaliation, justified military action against Hamas has now just morphed into leveling indiscriminately apartment buildings and killing innocent Palestinians. Women and children now, according to this woman's statistics, make up two-thirds of the fatalities. So until Israel does an accounting of how many literal enemy combatants have been killed versus how many children have been killed, there should be a ceasefire. There's there's little over 2 million people in, in, in who are Palestinian living in Gaza. Little over 2 million. That's four states of Wyoming. That's more people than live in our home state of Idaho. So imagine a place where they cannot escape because they are walled off. And not only are they barricaded in to a place where they are then just being bombed, but then the electricity has been turned off. Water has been turned off. The importation of fuel for to run generators that where emergency rooms and hospitals can run has been closed off. This is these are war crimes by even the most loose, easy interpretation to starve a population to indiscriminately bomb massive portions of the city, of the area that is that is inhabited by women and children, non-enemy combatants, war crimes. And as the numbers rise, it'll get closer to genocide. Does this mean that a, a, a vile crime was not committed against the, the, the people of Israel with this Hamas terror attack. No, fuck no. It was terrible what took place. Horrific. But if you think that Israel is acting reasonably, they're not going in in a surgical way to try to get the hostages back. They're just bombing the fuck out of everything. And the, the the doctor here, when she says that the the largely the media is kind of ignoring this, the, the question's not being asked about this criminal Benjamin Netanyahu. And I don't use a, I, I mean he's a he's a scandal ridden, he's a Donald Trump figure in Israel. It it is heartbreaking to watch what is taking place and know that we Americans with Joe Biden, the guy we elected, just going along to get along, not calling out Israel as though they have the power. We're the United States of America. They rely on our billions of dollars of international aid. A modern industrialized Western country that can stand on its own two feet still takes billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars from the United States because of this perverse 
evangelical adherence to propping up Israel because of the death cult of their particular flavor of Christianity. It's it's bizarre. It's gross. It's it's we're witnessing wholesale death and destruction at the hands of of the Israeli government and not enough is being said. Yeah. So like like I said, I'm I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the the link that you can use to find your representative and call and also if you're you know if you fear calling because you like don't want to talk to someone and you are nervous about how it will go you can just wait until after like office hours and call yeah. and leave a voicemail and then again all all that is for is so that there's a building tally there's a building number of people that are putting pressure that's all that it is so you will join a chorus of people and believe me, you're not going to be the only one calling. Um, I, I think I saw a Data for Progress stat that we posted on on the show pages on Instagram and Facebook about how most Americans support uh, a ceasefire. <laughs> As I'm saying it, I'm nervous that that's, that's not what it said. But Well, let me say one more thing while you're looking that up. Um, the... Th- too often it's comfortable for us to have a black and white binary view of things that if you're supporting a ceasefire you don't support israel that that's just not the case here it's not yeah so it it is um majority of voters across party lines agree that the u.s should call for a ceasefire and de-escalation of violence in gaza so even though there is kind of this i think the media is slowly starting to turn and cover more of the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, just as a person who consumes a lot of news media, particularly for this show and the YouTube channels, I have seen a slow shift over the past few days to more focus on what's happening in Gaza. So that comes from the general public deciding that they want to call for a ceasefire. That's how things shift, unfortunately. I know we're like, hey, why isn't CNN just taking the moral position right off the bat? (laughs) Well, they had to shut down Union Station in New York City because Jews from all over the city just occupied Union Station, and they had to shut it down. And I mean, dozens, if not hundreds of people were arrested because it's Jews saying, no, not in our name. Right. There needs to be a ceasefire. Stop murdering women and children. Listen, if you're going to target Hamas, fuck yeah. They are brutal, sinister, sickening terrorists. Monsters. But that's not what happened to Israeli citizens. Innocent. Kids at a music festival. That doesn't justify bombing the apartments of babies and women. Yeah, like I mean, ultimately, not Hamas members. the current actions are not making the world safer. And that's right. That's just a fact. So they I don't know what the justification is at this point, but it certainly isn't protection. It isn't protecting your borders. It isn't protecting your country and it isn't making the world safer. Yeah. So we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Or you can send an email to I doubt it at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Steven Schwartzman. Steven Schwartzman is a billionaire CEO, 
And we love these little clips of these billionaire CEOs that pop up on the internet and give us a glimpse into the cognition that is being a billionaire and how you think of your place in the world and how you think of the people that are below you and making your money for you, how you think of them too. I wonder how it happens. Does the money corrupt or is there a certain kind of individual that's more prone to becoming a billionaire and they already think this way and thinking this way gets them to billionaire status? Like, Chicken or the egg, you Look know? Look at you proposing a thesis idea. Why don't you go research that? <laughs> no, nah. <laughs> so this is particularly about the issue of working from home. And we know that there is a lot of conflict between the employers and the employees on the issue of working from home. And just as a brief aside, when the pandemic happened, where I was working, we temporarily shifted to working from home because it was necessary because the pandemic happened. Right. And none of us knew what was going on. We thought we were all going to die. And <laughs> there was no apparatus in place for us to, is apparatus the right word? Yeah. Um, in place for us to work from home. And that had to be built. No infrastructure. That's yeah. better. And so that had to be built and figured out. But once it was, we were able to continue working from home for a certain number of days per week. Well, remember remember that, though. What it was like in the beginning with no vaccine, it, it, it was very, very scary. And we don't have a lot of the same fears because... A lot of it's been dealt with through science and, and medicine, mm -hmm. but it it was. It was very scary in the beginning. Right. And so being able to work from home, I think, gave people a glimpse into how much better it is to work from home. I mean, I, I loved working from home. I was able to go to the kitchen and eat my lunch, and I was able to, like, hug Popeye, and yeah. it was you know, a different time. Popeye was alive, but <laughs> a better time. <laughs> um, it, it was nice. And you hear this from people who are able to work from home, that they aren't sitting for hours in traffic a day. They're not wasting their life away in traffic, commuting to work. There's so many things that are good for workers about working from home yeah. and for companies too. <laughs> but apparently billionaire CEOs like Steven Schwartzman, they don't, they don't like these benefits for employees. People got used to, you know, staying at home uh, and it was actually more profitable for them to stay at home because one, they didn't work as hard regardless of what they tell you. Uh, and the second uh, is they don't spend money uh, to commute. Uh, uh, you know, they can make their lunch at home. Uh, uh, they don't have to buy expensive clothes and so their incomes are, are, are higher. So, so uh, j just um, one or two quick statistics. Uh, in the U.S., in the office market, uh, buildings are 20% vacant, um, uh, unleased. Actually, there's another 20% that somebody's leased, but the people don't come in. So you're looking at office buildings that basically are 40% unused. So I expect when those leases roll off, the companies will cut back the amount of space. So say you have 30% uh, unused space in office buildings, that means those office buildings are not survivable, you know, as Aww. economic entities. 
Oh, no. What about the office buildings? Right. <laughs> so I love that he's really giving his priorities away because he starts talking about working from home was more profitable for the workers. And he knows he's going to get into like the ways that it's beneficial for the workers, but he needs to sow doubt in why the audience that is listening to him should be against people working from home. And so he immediately says that they didn't work as hard. Regardless of what they tell you, they're not working as hard as they should be when si- they're at home. He doesn't cite any figure, any fact, any research, any data, nothing. It's just something he says out of his fucking head. Yeah, and there's a a big conversation that's happening right now about what the most effective work week looks like. And do you actually need to be going into an office for eight hours a day, five days a week? Or can you do four days at 10 hours? Or can you have more flexible scheduling? These things, when when you offer your employees the flexibility that they need to have a life outside of work and those benefits, that will make them more productive because they don't hate their lives. Well, also imagine, imagine if you worked, like not if you worked retail where job, you kind of have to be there at the brick and mortar, but, but if you, if you did work from home, your, your company didn't collapse. You know, he just outlined they're, they're more profitable. He's using words that are usually applied to business, but your individual worker spending less, if not no money on commuting, all that money they get to have. And then they get to use as a consumer to buy stuff, guy. And then uh, they don't spend as much money on food because they're in their home. Mm -hmm. That's, That's good. That's good for their morale. That's good for what they do. That's good for productivity. And they don't have to spend as much money on wardrobe because they don't have to go into a place. I mean, he's just listing all of these Think about the money that you spend on those things. That's that's a lot of money. Yeah. You're you're more profitable as a human being. Fucking bizarre way to look at things. Yet still, the priority in this guy's brain is oh, there's an office building, an inanimate object with no people inside of it. Mm-hmm. Who fucking cares? Yeah. Convert those to apartments, increase the housing, the quantity of housing, and through the basic principles of supply and demand, housing costs will go down. How about that? Yeah, there was actually a conversation that was happening on Twitter the past few days because uh, a woman went viral, a young blonde woman went viral. She was crying. I believe it was a TikTok. She was crying into the camera talking about how she just graduated college. She has a marketing degree. She's thankful that she got a job right out of college, but she's working a nine to five and she can't afford to live in close proximity to where she works. She has to live a distance away because it's what she can afford with her job. And that means she has to commute like an hour and a half to work and and to home. Wow. And so by the time she gets home, it's dark outside and she's tired and she doesn't have the energy to work out. She doesn't have the energy to go and see her friends. She doesn't have the energy to uh, cook her meals at yeah. home. And people were dunking on her, making fun of her. When I say people, I mean conservatives were dunking on her and making fun of her and saying, oh, look at these young people who can't hang And that's intentional because they don't want people to rise up and get angry at the system because she's right. She should be able to work and have a life outside of work. We should not be accepting hour and a half one-way commutes, three hours, nearly half the workday she's spending extra on top of it just to get to and from work. That's 
That's not acceptable. And she That's actually, not the standard by which we should live our lives. Absolutely. And she actually made a point that if she ha- if she was working from home, she would simply close her laptop at 5, be at home at 5. It's right. still light outside. She can go and cook her meal. She doesn't need to sit in the car for an hour and a half. And I've sat in traffic. It is enraging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You need to learn to cope and be okay, but you know that you're you're slowly dying every a minute I mean, that passes, and so thank, you're going to die in that car. That's th- how you feel. Thank God for podcasts. Am I right, everybody? Yeah, I guess. Am I right, everybody? Sure. Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it, it just it, it is again. I'll, I'll I'll pose that question: Is did this Stephen Schwartzman become a billionaire because he has this fucking bizarre mindset already or did the money twist him into this ghoulish creature who who just hates the working class well he became a billionaire because he has On a, he has a ton of people that are crying into tiktoks about their nine to five job where they don't have time to do anything else except work and he just looks at a person and says oh how can i exploit them for their labor yeah you're not wrong. You're not wrong. We would invite your participation in this conversation. Stephen Schwartzman, we invite you to let us know what you think, brother. We'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We would invite your participation also in helping support this work, helping produce this podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast and choose your tier we're giving out the the end of the year gift there's a bonus episode every month there are I I believe that the most important aspect of giving is that you're supporting this particular show which prizes moving the conversation forward talking about big topics sometimes uncomfortably we love you we appreciate you very much and uh, we'll see you next time Brittany Page I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.